Well, once again, good morning, and we are glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Two elderly gentlemen were sitting on a bench in the mall when one says to the other, you know, Slim, I'm almost 73 years old, and I have all these aches and pains, and I wish I used to feel like I did in my younger years. He says, so Slim, how are you feeling? Well, Slim says, I feel just like a baby. Like a baby? How is that possible? Well, you see, Bert says, I have no hair, I have no teeth, and I think I just wet myself. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4? 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And this is the story of the Philistines capturing the ark. 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And if you are able to, would you please stand as we read God's word. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and the battle spread. Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies." So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kind of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that indeed, God, you would continue to speak to us, continue to help us, Lord, as we hear from you, and we pray that you would open up our minds and hearts to your word and to your truth, and may you help us to be obedient as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Feel free to be seated. The story is about the Israelites and the Philistines. 
And we know from previous passages of scripture that the Israelites were God's chosen people. Right from the beginning, God had his hand upon them, bringing them out of Egypt, seeing them through many times, many hard times, many trials, seeing them through many battles that they faced. And in all the battles that they faced, God helped them to win. God helped them to be victorious and triumphant and to come out, not because of their own strategy, not because of their own strength, not because of their plans or anything, but it was because of God's hand upon them that they came out victorious. So God had been with them on all of these different occasions. However, on this specific occasion, as they fought against the Philistines, the Philistines, keep in mind, were ruthless people. They were evil, they were big, they were strong, and they probably were the most challenging of all the different groups that the Israelites had to face. Remember that the Israelites first encountered the Philistines when David, a young boy, defeated Goliath with his slingshot. The, the first time that they defeat the Philistines. On this specific occasion, the Philistines began battle with the Israelites. They each camped out at their own pieces of land, and the Philistines begun battle. They begun by approaching the Israelites and fighting them. And instead of them winning in that specific first campaign there, they lost about 4,000 men. 4,000 men were killed. And so the Israelites didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand how it was that the Philistines were able to defeat them on this occasion and kill 4,000 of their men. And so they retreat back to their campground and they discuss among them a plan. A plan that they were sure was going to win. Starting from verse 2, it says, The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them in battle. And then it goes on in verse 3 to say, When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Why did they bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? They couldn't understand why the Lord allowed them to be defeated by the Philistines. We're following God, we're serving him, but yet instead of him helping us, it seems like he's just giving us over into the hands of the Philistines. It didn't make sense to them. They didn't understand how God could allow this to happen. And I believe sometimes, in our own lives as Christians, we may have the same thought. We're following God, we believe in him, but yet, look at the circumstances and look at what's happening in my life. Why is God allowing this to happen? You see, the truth of the matter is that just because we believe in God and follow Jesus does not mean life is going to be an easy ride. 
Just because we believe in God and we follow Jesus doesn't mean that everything will go smoothly, that everything will go our way, that everything will turn out exactly how we want. And if we choose to believe that following God means an easy life, a life full of success without problems, without trials, without any type of tribulations, then we're only kidding ourselves. Unfortunately, when we choose to follow Jesus, troubles also choose to follow us. And Jesus warns us, and he tells his disciples straight in Matthew. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says that. In the New Living Translation, he says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. He says right there in the scripture, you have to deny yourself or you have to give up your own way. That is the requirement of following me. Who wants to deny themselves? Who wants to do what somebody else wants them to do instead of doing what you want? Not many of us. Many of us like to have our own way. We like to make sure we're comfortable. We like to make sure that we're getting things that we want or doing things that we want and not just living for someone else. However, Jesus says, if you want to truly follow me, then you need to give up. Jesus says, there is a cost to following me. Not a financial cost per se, but you need to be willing to say, less of me and more of you, God. Not what I want, but may your will be done in my life. That is the cost to following Jesus. And following him may not always be easy. In fact, it's not easy. And if we think that it is, and if you are experiencing an easy journey, then you're probably not following him close enough. Because the closer we get to God, the harder the trials become. The closer that our relationship seems to be growing, the more that the enemy will come at us and try to attack us. That is the fact No one wants to deny themselves, but he says that there is a cost to following me. And so just because we follow him does not mean life will be easy. In fact, when we look at the biblical records of those who followed God, those who committed their lives to him, we see that their lives were not easy. Joseph was sent into slavery. Then he was put in prison, but he didn't do anything to deserve it. Job lost everything. His friends turned against him, but yet he did not curse God. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den just for praying to God and being faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to an idol or statue. Stephen was stoned for being a witness to Jesus. Paul was in prison for proclaiming the truth. You see, following God does not mean life is going to be easy, but it will be worth it. It may not be easy, but it will be worth it. Many of us have experienced many troubles, many trials in life. And if we haven't, then we will. Many of you have experienced the death of a loved one. 
mistreatment by a boss or coworkers, disappointment, heartbreak, discouragement, persecution, discrimination, financial struggles, being wrongly accused of something, or your name or reputation slandered or destroyed. So many things that some of us have experienced and we wonder, God, why are you letting this happen? I follow you, God. I come to church. I'm faithful. I pray once in a while. Why are you letting this happen? You see, it's not God who is causing these things to happen. We live in a fallen world and the devil is real. And he is out to kill and to destroy. But the good news is, the good news is, Jesus said, I have told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. And here's the good news, because I have overcome the world Take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the storm, we can smile because we know the end of the story. We know that in Jesus we have a victory. We know that there is a place called heaven that awaits for us, that no devil can take away, that cannot separate us from the hand of God. His word says that life nor death, angels nor demons, the future or the past, nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that today? No matter what you face in this life, know that we still have hope because he has overcome the world and we can take heart and we can have peace. We can have peace knowing that he has already said what's going to happen. And never forget that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen. Amen. So the Israelites couldn't understand why they were defeated by the Philistines. So they came up with a solution in the, the second part of verse 3. It says, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of the enemies. Then verse 4 says, so the people sent men to Shiloh and brought back the ark of the, of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherub." And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. You see, the Israelites, because they were defeated, they thought, if we bring the Ark of the Covenant with us next time into battle, we're going to win. They were defeated and they thought the Ark of the Covenant will save us from our enemies. So we don't have to worry. Just go get, they went to Shiloh, they got the Ark of the Covenant, brought it back, and they said... We don't have to worry about anything. It's a sure win, and we'll be fine. You see, what? first of all, what was the Ark of the Covenant? Well, in case you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, the Ark of the Covenant was a box-like object. It was covered with gold. It was one of the furnishings that God instructed Moses to be in the tabernacle and later the temple. It included the card figures of cherubim, which were angel-like beings, with wings extended facing each other across the mercy seat, which formed the covering of the chest. And so on the screen, you can sort of see what it looked like. So basically, it was a box, 
And on the top of the box, it was called the mercy seat. And so the two angels that God instructed were to be cherubim angels, their wings touching each other, them facing each other, and it actually had a lid. So the mercy seat was the lid, and that could be lifted, and this was the Ark of the Covenant. It was fastened by poles so that when the people, when the Israelites moved from different place to place, it was easy to carry. So four men would carry it. There were two poles. So two men on one side, two men on the other side. In short, what this was, was a symbol of God's presence with his people. God instructed for this to be there. And he said that my presence will dwell with you. And so it was believed by the people that God's presence rested on the mercy seat between the angels. And so this was a symbol of God's presence with the people. It was not God, it was simply his presence that rested upon the symbol. On its own, the Ark of the Covenant was like any other piece of furnishing. It was basically a box. It had no power of its own. The Beacon Bible Commentary says, because of the sacredness of the Ark, and connecting it with the presence of God, the Israelites determined to take it into battle as a sort of charm to ensure the victory. So stick with me. The Israelites felt if they take this into battle, they would win. These people put their trust in the Ark of the Covenant, which was only a symbol that represented God's presence with them. It was not God himself. They expected to win because this box was present. In the end, God allowed the Israelites to be defeated. In verse 10, it says, So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of the Covenant was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Understand this, from this passage of scripture, understand this, no statue, no symbol, or no charm can save you, only Jesus can. There's no statue, no symbol, no charm that can save you. The only thing that can save us is Jesus Christ. That is the only thing. They put their hope, they put their faith, they put their trust in this box. This box that they believed would help them to win. But yet God showed them, I'm not confined to a box. I'm not a box. I'm not a symbol. I'm not some sort of charm. But I am God and God alone and God all by myself. And because they were disobedient in putting their trust in that box, God showed them that he truly would allow them to be defeated. They put their trust in the wrong thing, and because of that, they failed. They were defeated. They were not saved from their enemies. And too many people today are trusting in different things, in so many things in this world, and not in Jesus Christ. Too many people today are trusting all of these different statues and symbols and charms and looking for protection and looking to be saved, but those things have no power 
on its own. None of those things have power. God is not confined to an object, and it's time that we start to think outside the box, so to speak, and realize that he is so big and so mighty. He says, I am. When he encountered Moses at the burning bush, God says, I am. Why does God say, I am? Why doesn't he say, I am salvation? I am the way. I am the provider. I am the comforter. Why doesn't he just say that? He doesn't. Because we cannot confine God to just one thing. He is so big that he encompasses more than our mind will ever understand. And so he says, I am. He is all that we could ever need in this life and more. There is nothing that comes before him and there will never be anything that comes after him. You see, there are no charms that can save us. And too many people today are putting their faith in four-leaf clovers, in horseshoes, in these lucky numbers, in these lucky symbols. You know, even angels can't save us. Even holy water, it can't save you. Anointing oil can't do anything for you. None of these things, not even the cross that you have in your house or that you hang on your rearview mirror or that you wear on your neck, none of those things can save you. They're simply symbols. There is only power in Jesus Christ. He is the only one. None of those things can save us. In Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is the only way. He is the only one. And so unfortunately, the Israelites trusted in this symbol to save them but they were defeated. Verse 6, part B says, When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. We will deliver us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kind of plagues in the wilderness. You see, the Philistines didn't quite get it. They understood part of the story, but they didn't quite understand the full thing. If we look carefully, if you look in your scripture, if you look at the Bible, these verses indicate the Philistines' polytheistic thinking. That is, their belief in many gods. Not just one god, but they believed that they were many gods. That's why God is listed with a small g, not a capital G, and it's also pluralized, saying gods, not just god. So in their minds, they thought they have brought a god into the camp, meaning one of the gods out of all of the different gods. That's why they were so afraid. However, even in their misunderstanding, they acknowledged that the God of Israel was the one who had defeated the Egyptians and brought on them the plagues and the destructions that happened. They didn't quite understand, but today I want to make clear that there is only one true living God. There is only one true living God, Jesus Christ. You see, in our world, 
There are so many different beliefs. There are so many different understandings. There are so many different ways that we can acknowledge God in this society and globally. And in the Old Testament, the one true living God was often referred to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that there was no misunderstanding as to which God the people were referring to. Today, as born-again Christians, we acknowledge Jesus Christ. Christ. We acknowledge him. Why? Because he has said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, then you've seen God the Father. He tells us. Jesus makes a plain, simple statement. He tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes that claim. He says that there is only one way. And this is not to intentionally offend anybody, but it goes without apology that there is only one true living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is only one way. And if we think that there are more than one way to heaven, if there are different paths that lead to God, then we're only kidding ourselves because the Bible, which is the truth, which is the inerrant word of God, which is infallible, tells us that there is only one way to salvation, only one way to heaven. And many of us need to be more serious when we think about that, when we talk about that with our friends. Because you know what? In our society, we're so careful not to offend other people. But at what expense? When we get to heaven and we don't see our family members there, when we get to heaven and we don't see our friends and our coworkers, what are we going to say? I didn't want to offend them, so I didn't tell them the truth. No. No, it's time that we get serious. It's time that we start telling our family, that we start telling our friends. And yes, they might not like what we have to say, but we speak the truth in and out of season. We tell them, because we are accountable too as believers, to go into all the world and preach the good news. Not just your pastor, not just missionaries, not just evangelists, but all of us as believers. There is only one way. Sometimes when you're driving, especially downtown, you'll see this sign, right? You see this sign, and what does that indicate? That it's a one-way street, that you can only go in that direction, and if you choose to go in the opposite direction, that A, you're either going to get a ticket or a fine, or you're going to cause a serious accident. This sign indicates to help people understand there's no other way but just the one way. And I want to remind you every time you see that sign to remember that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, only by the name of Jesus.
You see, the Philistines were afraid because they had heard of this God of the Israelites who had struck down the Egyptians. They had heard about all the plagues that had happened. And although they knew that this happened, although they knew that the reports were true, they still chose not to believe in this God. The evidence was there. They had heard the stories. They had seen the evidence. But yet they still chose not to believe. And you see, it is the same today. Many will see and they will hear, yet they will not believe. But our job is not to change their minds. Our job is simply to tell them the truth. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. There is a day coming where every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but it is coming. And the question that I want to ask you seriously today, this is not a feel-good message, sorry for that, but it's a serious one that each of us need to hear. The question is, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day where at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, under the earth will bow? Because whether you're ready or not, it's coming. And it's time that we make sure that we are ready. Today can be the day that you stop wondering if you're ready and you start getting ready for that. You see, just because we believe in God and we follow him doesn't mean life will be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Know that no statue, no symbol, or no charm can save you. Only Jesus can. And there is only one true living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I believe that we need to start thinking outside the box and stop looking at symbols for help and truly look to God. He is our source of everything. As the worship team comes and as we close in singing this song, it's called God, I Look to You. And part of the verse says, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. No matter what it is that you're facing in this life, no matter what it is that you're going through, know that he is the answer, that he is more than able. And so we can stop looking around at our situation. We can stop looking at other things to try to help us or other people. And we can truly look to God and God alone.